The Seventh Mansion, Chapter 3, of the Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle, or the Mansions, by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. The little butterfly has died, with greatest joy, at having found rest at last. And now Christ lives in her. Let us see the difference between her present and her former life, for the effects will prove whether what I told you was true. As far as can be ascertained, they are these. First, a self-forgetfulness so complete that she really appears not to exist, as I said, for such a transformation has been worked in her that she no longer recognizes herself. Nor does she remember that heaven or life or glory are to be hers, but seems entirely occupied in seeking God's interests. Apparently the words spoken by His Majesty have done their work, that she was to care for His affairs, and He would care for hers. Thus she wrecks nothing, whatever happens, but lives in such a strange oblivion that, as I stated, she seems no longer to exist, nor does she wish to be of any account in anything, anything, unless she sees that she can advance, however little, the honor and glory of God, for which she would most willingly die. Do not fancy, I mean, daughters, that she neglects to eat and drink, though it brings no small torment to her, or to perform the duties of her state. I am speaking of her interior. As regards her exterior actions, there is little to say, for her chief suffering is to see that she has hardly strength to do anything. For nothing in the world would she omit doing all she can, which she knows would honor our Lord. The second fruit is a strong desire for suffering, though it does not disturb her peace as before, because the fervent wish of such souls for the fulfillment of God's will in them makes them acquiesce in all he does. If he would have her suffer, she is content. If not, she does not torment herself to death about it as she used to. She feels a great interior joy when persecuted and is far more peaceful than in the former state under such circumstances. She bears no grudge against her enemies, nor wishes them any ill. Indeed, she has a special love for them, is deeply grieved at seeing them in trouble, and does all she can to relieve them, earnestly interceding with God on their behalf. She would be glad to forfeit the favors His Majesty shows her if they might be given to her enemies instead to prevent their offending our Lord. The most surprising thing to me is that the sorrow and distress which such souls felt because they could not die and enjoy our Lord's presence are now exchanged for as fervent a desire of serving Him, of causing Him to be praised, and of helping others to the utmost of their power. Not only have they ceased to long for death, but they wish for a long life and most heavy crosses if such would bring ever so little honor to our Lord. Thus, if they knew for certain that immediately on quitting their bodies their souls would enjoy God, it would make no difference to them. Nor do they think of the glory enjoyed by the saints, 
and long to share in it. Such souls hold that their glory consists in helping in any way him who was crucified, especially since they see how men offend against him and how few, detached from all else, care for his honor alone. True, people in this state forget this at times and are seized with tender longings to enjoy God and to leave this land of exile, especially as they see how little they serve him. Then, returning to themselves and reflecting how they possess him continually in their souls, they are satisfied, offering to his majesty their willingness to live as the most costly oblation they can make. They fear death no more than they would a delicious trance. The fact is that he who gave them these torturing desires of death has exchanged them for the others. May he be ever blessed and praised. Amen. In fact, such persons no longer wish for consolations nor delights, since they bear God himself within them, and it is he who lives in them. It is evident that his life was one continual torment. So would he have ours to be, at least in desire, for as to the rest he leads us mercifully as our weakness requires, though when he sees the need he imparts to us his strength. Such a soul, thoroughly detached from all things, wishes to be either always alone or occupied on what benefits the souls of others. She feels neither aridity nor any interior troubles, but a constant tender recollection of our Lord, whom she wishes to praise unceasingly. When she grows negligent, the same Lord arouses her in the way that I told you, and it is easy to see that this impulse, I know not what term to use for it, comes from the interior of the soul, like the former impetuous desires. It is now felt very sweetly, but is neither produced by the intellect nor the memory, nor is there reason to believe the soul itself has any share in it. This is so usual and so frequent that whoever has been in this state must have noticed it. However large a fire may be, the flame never burns downwards, but upwards. And so this movement is seen to come from the center of the soul, whose power it excites. Indeed, were nothing else gained by this way of prayer, but the knowledge of the special care God takes to communicate himself to us, and how he entreats us to abide with him, for, indeed, I can describe it no other way. I think that, for the sake of these sweet and penetrating touches of his love, all our past pains would be well spent. You will have learned this by experience, sisters, for I think that when our Lord has brought us to prayer of union, he watches over us in this way, unless we neglect to keep his commandments. When these impulses are given you, remember that they come from the innermost mansion where God dwells in our souls. Praise him fervently, for it is he who sends you this message, or love letter, so tenderly written and in a cipher that only you can understand and know what he asks. By no means neglect to answer his majesty, even though you may be occupied exteriorly and engaged in conversation. Our Lord may often be pleased to show you the secret favor in public, but it is very easy, 
as the reply should be entirely interior, to respond by an act of love, or to ask with St. Paul, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Jesus will show you in many ways how to please him. It is a propitious moment, for he seems to be listening to us, and the soul is nearly always disposed by this delicate touch to respond with a generous determination. As I told you, this mansion differs from the rest in that, as I said, the dryness and disturbance felt in all the rest at times hardly ever enter here, where the soul is nearly always calm. It does not fear that this sublime favor can be counterfeited by the devil, but feels a settled conviction that it is of divine origin, because, as above stated, nothing is here perceived by the senses or faculties. But his majesty reveals himself to the spirit, which he takes to be with himself in a place where I doubt not the devil dares not enter, nor would our Lord ever permit him. All the graces here divinely bestowed on the soul come, as I said, through no line of its own except its total abandonment of itself to God. They are given in peace and silence, like the building of Solomon's temple, where no sound was heard. It is thus with this temple of God, this mansion of his, where he and the soul rejoice in each other, alone in profound silence. The mind need not act, nor search for anything, as the Lord, who created it, wishes it to be at rest, and only to watch through a little chink what passes within. Though at times it cannot see this, yet such intervals are very short, I believe, because the powers are not here lost, but only cease to work, being, as it were, dazed with astonishment." I, too, am astonished at seeing that when the soul arrives at this state, it does not go into ecstasies, except perhaps on rare occasions. Even then, they are not like the former trances in the flight of the spirit, and seldom take place in public as they did before. They are no longer produced by any special calls to devotion, such as by the sight of a religious picture, by hearing a sermon, were it only the first few words, or by sacred music. Formerly, like the poor little butterfly, the soul was so anxious that anything used to alarm it make it take flight. This may be either because the spirit has at last found repose, or that it has seen such wonders in this mansion that nothing can frighten it, or perhaps because it no longer feels solitary, since it rejoices in such company. In short, sisters, I cannot tell the reason, but as soon as God shows the soul what this mansion contains, bringing it to dwell within the precincts, the infirmity formerly so troublesome to the mind and impossible to get over disappears at once. Probably this is because our Lord has now strengthened, dilated, and developed the soul, or it may be that he wished to make public for some end known only to himself, what he was doing in the secret within such souls, for his judgments are beyond our comprehension in this life. These effects, with all the good fruits I have mentioned of the different degrees of prayer, 
are given by God to the soul when it draws near him to receive that kiss of his mouth for which the bride asked. And I believe her petition is now granted. Here, the overwhelming waters are given to the wounded heart, where here she delights in the tabernacles of God. Here, the dove sent out by Noah to see whether the flood had subsided has plucked the olive branch, showing that she has found firm land amongst the floods and tempests of this world. O oh, Jesus, who knows how much in Holy Scripture refers to this piece of soul? Since, O oh my God, Thou dost see what grave import is this peace to us. Do thou incite Christians to strive to gain it. In thy mercy, do not deprive those of it on whom thou hast bestowed it. For until thou hast given them true peace and brought them to where it is unending, they must ever live in fear. I do not mean that peace is unreal on earth, because I say true peace but that such souls might have to begin all their struggles over again if they forsook God. What must these people feel at the thought that it is possible to lose so great a good? Their dread makes them more careful, and they try to gather strength from their weakness, lest, through their own fault, they should miss any opportunity of pleasing God better. The greater the favors they have received from His Majesty the more diffident and mistrustful they are of themselves. The marvels they have witnessed, having revealed more clearly to them their own miseries and the heinousness of their sins, so that often, like the publican, they dare not so much as lift up their eyes. Sometimes they long to die and be in safety, but then their love at once makes them wish to live in order to serve God, as I told you. Therefore, they commit all that concerns them to his mercy. At times, they are more crushed than ever by the thought of the many graces they have received, lest, like the overladen ship, they sink beneath the burden. I assure you, sisters, such souls have their cross to bear. Yet it does not trouble them, nor rob them of their peace, but is quickly gone, like a wave or a storm which is followed by a calm, for God's presence within them soon makes them forget all else. May he be forever blessed and praised by all his creatures. Amen.